You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians network. Learn more at wearelibertarians.com. The Boss Hog of Liberty podcast is the latest hit on the We Are Libertarians network. Each week, Jeremiah Morrill and Dakota Davis explore life in Henry County, Indiana. It's a show about our circle of friends, public officials, and our experiences. 80% observation, life, humor, and 20% politics. Boss Hog of Liberty is the day-to-day happenings of Henry County, Indiana, which is just like your community. Add us on iTunes and sample us today. Dear Leader would want you to. Oh, f- the Johnny Rocket Launchpad is Liberty. Each week, we strive to bring you the best guests in talk radio. The Johnny Rocket Launchpad delivers weekly interviews of noteworthy politicians, experts, and activists. The Johnny Rocket Launchpad is bringing the party to the Libertarian Party and launching ideas in your direction. Check us out at johnnyrocketlaunchpad.com. You can hear me, Kurt Nelson, and the beautiful Heather Nixon talk about the ideas of liberty. Rock and roll. Hey guys, this is Roger Paxton, and if you're fed up with the government running every single aspect of your life, but you're not listening to the Lava Flow podcast yet, then what's wrong with you? Check us out at thelavaflow.com, or just go back to sucking up for the government. The Lava Flow podcast, striking the root every single episode. It's time to shake up your podcast feed, folks, by subscribing to Lions of Liberty, the only libertarian variety show out there. Spend Mondays with me, Mark Clare, as I feature in-depth interviews with great names in the libertarian community and fun roundtable discussions. Electric Liberty Land with me, Brian McWilliams, every Wednesday, your weekly dose of comedy, culture, and liberty. And Felony Fridays with me, John Odermatt, where I expose injustice in the broken criminal justice system. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and at lionsofliberty.com. And I am a – I've been in the Libertarian Party for about 10 years. Uh, let me give you a little bit of my background for all of you bias hunters out there uh, because there are going to be a lot of people who are who – are, where, where does this host stand? He's talking to this person and that person and uh, trying to determine how I feel about Ron Paul. Uh, and let me tell you. So I was a Republican growing up, and I uh, – had all, like many of you, had so many of my beliefs broken down, and I became politically homeless. And I then heard Ron Paul in 2008 during the debates uh, speaking about non-interventionism. And that was the final piece for me uh, to become a libertarian, a full-fledged libertarian. I then went on to work for the national, or not the national, the state State libertarian party, the Libertarian Party of Indiana, as their full-time executive director for four years then went on to be the marketing director of the Advocates for Self-Government for a year, and now I work elsewhere in a non-related radio capacity. But I started this podcast in 2012 because I felt that it wasn't always uh, worthwhile to work within politics. I felt there needed to be a cultural component to libertarianism that people could easily grasp onto our ideas and we do this podcast, a uh, group of friends out of Indianapolis, have for almost six years now, and uh, it's a lot of fun. So I invite you to subscribe, check out our podcast, our other podcasts, uh, at wearelibertarians.com. I try to be very fair-minded. I try to be uh, nonpartisan. I try to be open to uh, many different views. I, I, I find that there are 
many different paths to libertarianism. There are many different ways to contribute to the libertarian movement, and we spend far too much time beating each other up because uh, of failed purity tests. I, I posted a status today saying essentially that I think l the Libertarian Party thrives on these... these uh, a lot of what we're talking about today are internet fights <laughs> and revenge on each other instead of working together. So uh, please, if you would, share this video because this is a hot topic. Um, we're going to talk to... Uh, Daniel Hayes, who is on the convention committee, I believe he's the head of the convention c committee, and he's been at the chair. the committee chair. Thank you. Uh, he's he's in the background. You can't see him because I have a uh, uh, I don't have the best setup, but I have a setup. So you'll see him on the screen to my left, and we'll hear from him in just a moment. But I wanted to set up this issue. He's been Daniel's been at the uh, center of this controversy that launched uh, just. A few days ago, and uh, for those of you who are of the blessed few in the libertarian movement that have not heard about what is happening within the libertarian movement, let me explain to you what's going on. I'm going to read, to to set it up, I'm going to give you where it all started, the, the Mises Caucus, uh, the chair of the Mises Caucus. I, I hit up Michael before we started this to ask him uh, how to pronounce his name, and we may talk to him after I talk to Daniel. He he had to do a couple interviews, but I feel he he represented his views very well in this article at lpmesescaucus.com. And he writes uh, in an article titled, LP Convention Chair Just Rejected Ron Paul and Judge Napolitano from National Convention. Um it's a pretty sad day, he writes, when the Libertarian Party rejects Ron Paul, the godfather of the modern Libertarian movement. But unfortunately, that time has come. As many of you know, the LPMC has never been shy about our goal of shaking up the leadership of the party to give it a fresh look and principal direction that the majority of Libertarians would be motivated to support. In fact, it is our, major, our first major milestone goal. We know that this would draw the ire of party leadership and its supporters. However, we feel, as most libertarians do, that it is badly needed and much overdue. I'm not going to read all of this. I'm going to read some of the parts that I think are highly relevant. Uh, and so I'm going to skip this next paragraph. Having established this working relationship with Mr. Hayes, I decided to follow up and inquire about what we would have to do to get Ron Paul and Judge Andrew Napolitano to the convention as speakers. It doesn't get more libertarian than that. I had the pleasure of discussing the caucus and our goals with both Dr. Paul and the judge at the Nexus Conference in September. Both expressed interest and support, so the potential was there. Mr. Hayes made it clear that the party would not be willing to pay any potential fees that may come with such AAA speakers. I told him that we would work on taking care of the fees. He was very interested in having the judge out, but oddly... Uh, seemed to be lukewarm about having Ron Paul speaking at all, regardless of fees, without having expressly denied him at that point. He then goes on to say that he uh, suddenly got a message from Mr. Hayes. Uh, that conversation took place in October, uh, Michael Heiss said. Uh, it was just an idea, and he then said in December he got a message from Daniel Hayes, the article he linked, written by Dr. Paul, titled Good News, Young Americans Want a New Political Party, has the following passage in it, which seems to have outraged Mr. Hayes. Unfortunately, the Libertarian Party has failed to live up to what should have been its role as an ideological alternative to Washington's one-party system, Ron Paul writes, as was quite obvious in 2016 in the presidential election where 
uh, Gary Johnson and Bill Weld ran. The libertarians yielded the prevailing attitudes on war, welfare, the Federal Reserve, and more, in believing that winning was more important than standing for something. They ended up achieving neither. I would still like to have some hope for the LP, but to really fill its role as a challenger to our two-party system, that is actually a one-party system, it would need a major overhaul. It would need to actually embrace the core libertarian principles of non-aggression and non-intervention in the affairs of others. Um, he uh, then Daniel goes, or not Daniel, Michael goes on to write, "There is nothing untrue about that statement." Uh, he, he there there are some screenshots which we'll we'll get into that Michael sent me. Many of you have seen on. What I will describe as the nefarious Liberty Hangout, or someone on Twitter called Diet Right Hangout, which uh, <laughs> made me laugh. Um, not a bastion of libertarian journalism. So in October, uh, Michael and Daniel had a conversation. Um, uh, Daniel wrote, so yeah, if they can get Ron Paul to come, we will cover his expenses and give them a table. Then Mises Caucus can sponsor a table. Michael writes, let me make some calls, but I think we'll be able to get this done. Uh, then he, then uh, Dan, Daniel said in an October 19th message, that said, if you can get Ron, as in cover his honorarium, I can cover his flight room and give him a gold ticket. Basically, you guys are paying him to come represent us, and we are covering his appearance. Michael writes, right, uh, that's very pitchable to redacted. Very libertarian, Michael. You're redacting secret information. I'm going to turn into Edward Snowden, hunt you down. Uh, can they get a table if they commit to this? Uh, Daniel said, I think I can get that done. Uh, now, in as many people have seen, in some places, Daniel, uh, Daniel, the convention chair, later on in December, sends this article and just highlights those portions of what he said. Michael, the head of the Mises Caucus, decides to let it go for a bit. Uh, about six weeks, after about six weeks, I got back in touch with the representative who maintained an interest in making this happen. I decided to follow up with Mr. Hayes, head of the convention uh, committee, at, who at first saw my messages, then very unprofessionally ignored them, ultimately giving me a thumbs up when I said, I'll just tell him you aren't interested. So unfortunately, that is exactly what I had to do. Mr. Hayes, who claimed Dr. Paul has, quote-unquote, no idea what we represent, ironically asked me for my opinion on, and support on courting Glenn Beck as a speaker to the convention. I'll give you a chance just here in a second. Um, because that's not what it said. Dr. Paul has no idea what the LP represents. Not what we as libertarians represent. That's a very important distinction. Well, we'll, we'll hold on just a second, Daniel, okay? Okay. Uh, um, so... Then Michael, for his, his part, goes on to promote the Mises Caucus and says you should keep being interested and participating in the Libertarian Party because there's no point in fleeing the Libertarian Party because then you can't change it. On that, I think everyone agrees. Instead of throwing a hissy fit on social media and stomping your feet like a little child, if you want to actually see the Libertarian Party, you should get involved, which is for my, my message here. Uh, now, let's go to Daniel. Daniel uh, Daniel Hayes is on the line. He is the chairman of the convention committee. And uh, Daniel, can you kind of give us a brief background of who you are and what you do in the Libertarian Party? Okay. So I became politically active in 2011. I got involved with the Ron Paul campaign. Um, 
I ended up being the uh, vice chair for Congressional District 1. Louisiana uh, was using a strategy of uh, getting control of the delegates to the Louisiana State Convention with the intent of putting Ron Paul delegates in that slot. We controlled four out of six uh, delegations. We won those. Uh, we, we got a lot, a lot of things done, but we basically got infiltrated by the GOP, um, and that's a whole other story. But that's where I got involved, saw the, saw the sausage made in the GOP up close and didn't want to be involved in that. So always been a philosophical libertarian. Um, the, the, the switch over to the LP was, was um, pretty easy. Uh, and what year is this? Know, it was obvious. Okay. You had a question? Yeah, what year was this? Uh, 2011, 2012. Okay. So I switched my voter registration, um, after basically, uh, it was, it was clear that, uh, you know, what we'd done with the Ron Paul campaign had been, um, compromised at the very least here in Louisiana by, in my opinion, was the, 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 the leadership within the campaign. So, um, and, and then plus what the GOP did, for, did, like I said, that's a whole long other story, but, but I got involved with the LP, um, Actually, for six, eight months, whatever, so said, no, I don't want to be part of any kind of party leadership. We got involved in forming parish executive committees here in the state, and we formed one in my parish, Jefferson Parish, uh, which is, you know, that's what us civilized people call counties, people that don't know what parish is, <laughs> is a county. Right. And um, so uh, April of 2013 was when I became, got my first official title. Um I serve uh, on the Louisiana State Central Committee as a representative for Jefferson Parish, still do. Um, I went to my first convention, 2014, um, sitting behind another uh, a state chair, kept turning around to me. He was running for Congress, or he was a former state, he was a delegation chair. And he said, why are they telling me what I, this was during platform, why are they telling me what I need to think as a candidate? And I was like, I'm with you, I get you. I mean, it's like, I mean, honestly, um, for those people out there, my idea of the libertarian platform, delete the whole every plank, leave the statement of principles and the omissions plank 4.0 that says just because we don't talk about it uh, doesn't mean we, we approve of it. Because uh, I think that's really the libertarian thing. That's my views. Like I said, I, I find it kind of ironic that we spend so much time telling people how to be a libertarian. But anyway, so because of that, that same person during our caucus um, turned around to me and said, as my nomination, will you run? Had no plans on doing it. And I was like, okay. Came very close to um, actually ending up as the rep from from uh, by t- within two votes um, for Region Seven. Um, but you know, the the person that ended up that we had a very close working relationship. It was good. So I ended up being the alternate. That was my involvement with um, the LNC. Um, jumped to the 2016. Uh, I was involved in uh, putting on the convention. And in, in Orlando, uh, along with my mentor, as far as doing conventions, Betty Rose Ryan, who's done a lot of very successful LP conventions in the past. So um, with that particular involvement, you know, we, we I, I was a big advocate for getting this next convention uh, here in New Orleans, that being our midterm, because my idea, my feeling was for conventions uh, during our off years, we, we need to go someplace people want to go to. And, uh, you know, New Orleans is a destination city. Organizations that set conventions here have been known to set records and break records all the time. 
you know, presidential years, it's it's less important. Hey, there's a cat there. Sorry, um, but yeah, sorry, Muffins is getting involved in the controversy here. <laughs> you know, it, these things happen. Um, that's 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 why I'm sitting in this room. You know, when you start talking, they're all like, "Hey, what's going on, Dad? What's up?" <laughs> you know, and I was like, "I'm going to the library because otherwise, my big shepherd that, that's like up to my waist would be like, you know, up in our up in our business." Um, so, but anyway, putting on that putting on that um, the convention in New Orleans uh, during an off year that was something I advocated very heavily for. Um, the the you know not because I live here, but because because I live here and know what New Orleans brings to organizations that put their conventions here, that being success. You know, as far as like a, a, a presidential year, I, I feel like the location is, is less important as long as it's got the proper facilities to handle our needs um, cause, because people are more interested in that. Um, that that's the reality. Um, politics doesn't st- do, is not uh, just on that one particular cycle. In fact, I wish everybody would quit looking at, you know, quote unquote, supreme overlord and run for those smaller offices. But the, the, the reality is that's what interests a lot of people. So anyway, we'll get a lot of attendance. For that. So, so that said, um, I'd like to say, um, and by the way, if you see in the background, that's uh, the convention website, libertarianconvention.org um, with regards to the 2018 convention. And uh, pretty much as of February 1, uh, you know, we had a lot of concerns because audiovisual costs and things like that and other costs on putting on, putting on conventions have continued to rise. And it's, it's it's kind of uh, cost prohibitive, and uh, we initially set a a um, some prices for the packages that were higher than the final price for a day a day longer convention in 2016 for the super early bird prices, and you know some members complained, and I just really um, went to the committee and said, look guys, we need to we need to look at uh, look at you know restructuring the prices, and we had a vote on this, and you know a big discussion. And uh, we did get that price restructure. And so jump to February 1st, you know, people were concerned that we wouldn't be able to pay for it by the number of people that come and attend and what they pay, what packages they pay for. And jump to February 1st, um, this convention is currently in the black. So this is on track to be the most profitable convention that the Libertarian Party has ever had. Um, we've never had a convention that's that's... I don't know if we've ever had one that's been in the black before, like the month before the convention. And, and this one is, is there five months ahead, ahead of that. Now, is this all about, you know, money and, and, and you know, well, politics is about money. Um, and, you know, we want to put on a good convention. We want to have biz- business. We want to put on things that are exciting to where we can inspire and educate, and motivate people. But if this convention can help to bring money into the LP, then, that helps us help our candidates, help our affiliates, and help the party grow. And, and so there's been a lot of that that's going on. The, the, the party has become more organized. People that have been involved heavily with the LP, um, they, they realize that this particular iteration of the LNC, the Libertarian National Committee that runs this, is much more functional other than a couple of things, and we get along much better than previous ones. If people think the things going on now are, are, are bad within the committee – they, they, they really need to talk to people that are around in past history. So we've been getting a lot of things done. Uh, donations are up. Uh, you know, we, we've got uh, a great head of development, Lauren Doherty, one of the, one of the staff members that, that the LNC hired. Uh, she's tremendous. She's, she's really does a great job of, 
of developing relationships with donors, members, etc. And, and so she's been a tremendous asset. Um, now, so my background, like I said, I, I'm, I'm chair of actually on the LNC. Uh, I'm still involved at my local. I'm a local activist. I do lobbying up at the state capitol. I'm on our state central committee. Um, I'm, a, I'm a, a, a treasurer of the Louisiana Association of Parliamentarians. I'm the uh, president of, of my local METER unit. And um, then as far as LNC, um, uh, I chair our affiliate support committee. I, uh, when Betty Rose Ryan had to step down for personal reasons, she's still active and she's still a consultant. I actually talk to her fairly frequently uh, for historical reference, et cetera. But she had to step down. And then I was the vice chair of the convention committee. And that's the point at which I stepped into the role of being the chairman of it. Um, from the initial start, I was the... Uh, speaker coordinator, which is what I had done in 2016. Uh, people felt like things went well with that, and so I, uh, I was going to continue in that respect. What happened, though, with, with we had this budget, and there was a lot, a lot of concern that, you know, are we going to pay pay for this convention, or is this gonna, convention going to be a loss? Because that's actually happened a few times. And um, so, you know, we've, this convention team has worked very, very hard to, to one, be frugal, and two, um, you know, Make it pro make it profitable. Bring in lots of revenue. Make it and while still making a good, exciting convention. And uh, you know, it's set up to be one of the, like I said, one of the best attending conventions we've ever had. We had a room block of one thousand and eighteen room nights when we first got it from the Hyatt. It is currently. Uh, I'll get the next pickup report uh, this week. But it, at, at last Saturday, uh, it was one thousand and 88 room nights that we had booked. Hmm. It's set to be a very, very well-attended convention. Things are going really, really well. So, um, you know, this this thing with the speakers and the controversy, the budget that I had to, with which to use for speakers was for a national convention uh, somewhere around 3,500 bucks. Think about airfares, think about things like that. That's not a lot of money. Sure, and I've seen Ron Paul request $30,000. I know uh, you mentioned Glenn Beck. At one point, the LPIN had reached out to him, and he wanted $180,000 and a private jet. How long ago was that? That, that was years. I, that was years ago. Yeah, I, I, see, here's the that thing. That was Fox okay, News very, days. That's an interesting one because, because you know, and look, and, and this whole thing is like, you know, oh, the convention committee chair wants Glenn Beck over Ron Paul. Look, I, I mean, I've met Glenn Beck multiple times, and, you know, real nice guy. Actually, he's very, very um, – if you see when Nick Sarwalk was on his show, he's holding a piece of paper with our, with, with our platform and statement of principles, and he's, like, gushing. He's like, this is beautiful. He's very, very, very complimentary towards the LP. You know, that said, I, uh, you know, uh, he, he – to my understanding, I think he, he's, he wants to come to this convention on his own dime as a speaker. What it cost? That. So consider that with what they said to you in the past. But that's my, my understanding. I think that was what was on the table. Well, the, the odd thing about it is, and let me just, you know, sure. I Glenn Beck, I have followed him. I met him back when I worked in talk radio and have followed him for a long time. I, I promote his stuff because he has a really good, very libertarian prep staff. I mean, there are things that where we disagree with him, but there are a lot of things where mm -hmm. we agree. And I think part of the problem with most libertarian party folks is that they are looking for the places where they disagree with someone instead of where they agree because they've been so burnt in other parties and by other ideologies that they're very scared of that happening again 
And Beck has moved over the last four years uh, since the Fox News days in a very libertarian direction. And one of the biggest episodes of We Are Libertarians was titled, Is Glenn Beck Welcome? And because he was four or five years ago trying to make overtures to the party, and it was, it was very clear for most people that he's not welcome here. And there are a lot of people who were in the Tea Party at that time that got the memo that they weren't welcome. And that's part of the problem. It's, Judd Weiss has called the Libertarian Party a uh, dog kennel, where you have this nice little sweet puppy who wants to get involved, and then you throw them into a dog kennel with wolves, and then they just get their ears bitten so many times they leave after three years. And I've seen that so many times over the last dozen years that I've watched the LP. And Beck is one of those people where we have a lot in common, and so I understand the, the desire to have him speak, and he's somebody that I'm willing to listen to, uh, I mean, you don't have to. You don't have to buy in. And people who criticize Glenn Beck go back and look at some of the conspiratorial stuff that he used to say on Fox and CNN. And it's like, well, Ron Paul was on Alex Jones all of the time. <laughs> you know, like that. That's part of the libertarian thread is that our leaders and our our people will look at things and try to think out loud about more controversial stuff. And I I don't, I don't get it. I don't I don't get the impulse to. Throw the baby out with the bathwater water on anybody because it's 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 bizarre to me. So did is Glenn Beck coming to speak? Uh, no, we never got to that point. Like you said, the, the, the thing that came up. So so I've been working with Mr. Heisey with the Mises Caucus and we were having those discussions. And, and you know, uh, there was some 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 initial like you know animosity because they, they they're like they, they've got this very uh, they're saying they want to form a coup. So. That's what a lot of what's going on here, and let's we'll talk about that stuff later. But but this is about trying to make this particular LNC look bad, and they're taking every opportunity to do so. And there there seems to be this alliance, and it's pretty apparent to people that are paying attention of which this alliance is that really they dislike our current national state chairman Nicholas Sarwak, and they they are willing to do anything to get rid of him, no matter what damage it does to the party. But but as far as so Mr. Heisey, though, you know, we kind of I kind of sent him a little trolling comment because he sent me a friend request. And I was like, hey, so you're ready to get a table, blah, blah, blah. And, he, and he's like, actually, yeah, we are. So we started actually having some discussions and we started talking. And I mean, I look, I was very complimentary of him. He got me in touch with with Mr. Um, Jim Cantrell, one of the founders of SpaceX, current current CEO of Vector Space Systems, who is scheduled to speak at our national convention. And, you know, Mr. Cantrell is an incredibly impressive person, and his topic is going to be something along the lines of technology versus tyranny, how, you know, space and technology are the answers to the current woes of the erosion of liberty that people are experiencing. And so, you know, I'm sorry, I'm still a little boy, and, you know, that's, you know, the space geek and things like that, and get, that gets me excited, and I'm sure it gets a lot of the other guys out there excited. You know, it's, it's that gee whiz stuff. And so that was a tremendous uh, connection. And, um, you know, Mr. like I said, Mr. Cantrell expressed interest of getting more involved in all kinds of ways with the party. And that's something that we were very, very um, amenable to. And, and, and so we, we, really, we really hope that relationship grows. And and that was really good. And I was I was at a point to where, you know, so Mr. Heisey came to me. Well, let me finish with the Glenn Beck thing. I, I, I said to him, I said, so what do you think about Glenn Beck? Because a lot of people were like, no, 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 no. And, and the Glenn Beck, he's had this offer out there for like 10 months. So this has been a long time. That he's interested in speaking. So, so months before Nicholas Sarwak even appeared on his show, and 
so he's def- definitely been very interested. And, you know, I drove out to, to the studios when, when Nick was on there and, um, you know, Mr. Beck knew that I was a speaker coordinator and we'd actually met a, a previous time in New Orleans, but uh, he came out, he, you know, with a point because he wanted to meet me and like his, one of his uh, pr- promoters or, or helpers came up to me and said, you going to speak coordinator? Yeah. So, you know, he came up and we talked for like, you know, five minutes about things and, um, you know, it, so, so this has all been going on and I'm very, very aware of, of the apprehension that exists within the party relative to Glenn Beck. There's a reason why he's not, if you go look on our website, there's a reason why he's not listed as one of the speakers because of that apprehension. And so this was me saying, so what do you think? And I asked Mr. Heisey about that. And so, so for people, there's people coming around saying, you know, we're, we're, we're taking Glenn Beck over Ron Paul. Well, if you look, Glenn Beck is willing to come for nothing, and yet he's still not there. Now, does that mean he's going to speak or not speak? I mean, that's something that, you know, there's people out there that's also acting like, you know, I'm just this, you know, uh, authoritarian making these unilateral decisions. And the reality is our convention committee, when they assign me to be the speaker, I'm the one tasked with basically organizing that. And when you have too many chiefs, it's hard to get things done. And, you know, so so I've got a lot of authority relative to that, but I've got this sort of meter in my head. I'm like, okay, how complicated is this? Is the person coming for free? How how well known are there? Are they how well accepted are they in the party? And, you know, if and even people that are are seemingly well accepted, I have a tendency, you know, I get on, as you can tell, I talk a lot. Um, and, And on our convention committee calls and I say, yeah, here's what I'm doing. I even get into my thought process of why I'm arriving at certain decisions with, with regarding uh, certain things we've done. And so like relative to Glenn Beck, you know, he came up once with the convention committee and then I brought it up again. I was like, so what do you guys think? And we started talking about it. And one of our members decided to go and post, which I really wish he wouldn't because it was an internal thing. And you know, the, 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 Committee basically, you know, they were like, no. And, and like I said, I'm so this idea that I'm some kind of unilateral uh, authoritarian regarding this stuff, it's it's just ludicrous. No, you work with my former boss, Sam Goldstein, and Sam Goldstein's on the committee. And I can't imagine that Sam Goldstein would ever allow a dictator because Sam is uh, uh, a curmudgeon. Uh. <laughs> yeah, that, that's an excellent word. I love I love Sam. He was a great boss. So, so let's let's get into the controversy because I sure. want to ask you. So, so you said that you went in to he sent you a friend request and you sent him a trolling comment previously. I mean, okay. did you did well, you did well, you go into see, what was your what was your relationship with him previously? I mean, were you going into it with some sort of adversarial attitude with the Mises Caucus? Um, well, the, the the Mises Caucus had an adversarial attitude to, to me, so it's so it's you know I mean I'm, I'm I consider myself to be a bit of an empath, and a lot of times what people see from me is maybe a reflection of themselves. Um, you know I'm you know and let's not get into that whole whole aspect there. This was when I say it was trolling. Look, I, I sent it and I was like, hey, you know, you ready to you know do some things? And he said he he was. So I was like, oh okay. So immediately that 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 fell away. Because it's like somebody's going to give give the party, you know, some money, spend some money um, to, to get a table, do some sort of sponsorship or whatever relative to the convention. Then, you know, this is about making this convention successful. And so, I, you know, I, I then at that point was all in um, and, and endeavoring to work 
with with the gentleman. And um, you know, there was a point to where, like I said, after after the experience with us getting Mr. Cantrell involved, well, I'm like I look like I'm in, I'm in a supernova there with your your uh, I know your, the screen you got behind me, but yeah. it is with this. <laughs> so. Anyway, we, but, but so, we, so that, we don't have that reason well. or that Mises money. So we're we're a small independent media. I, but. <laughs> I so trust me, you know the, the National Libertarian Party uh, has a ha, has a budget of what like one point seven million dollars for a uh, for a, a national political party, you know. And right. so think, keep that people keep that in mind. You know, I've managed restaurants in the past that have that have had that kind of annual revenue that they brought in. So that's and why you that's why you wanted Ron Paul to pay his own way or or you wanted the Mises caucus to pay the honorarium. Well, Is it, know, the see, money's just not there. But the, the, so so in 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 some of the comments that that I'd sent to Mr. Heisey that are not in there and, and frankly I'm not looking to, you know I'm not really interested in you know screen capping and sharing some of them because sometimes you start talking about other people and other organizations and things like that and those things should probably remain um, private. Uh, you know, when you're doing some sort of negotiations and things like that. But but I, I informed him, you know, like in, in the thing you read, that's me kind of, you know, that's negotiations and talking. But but a lot of times we'll do that. And it's it's with the understanding, I think, and if and things like that. And sometimes, you know, I, I may have to check legalities on whether or not with the treasurer or a council. And I even voice it to him that, you know, on some of this more complex stuff, I have to come back and I need to go back to the convention committee and um, or maybe speak to our council. That was a, that was one comment that I, that I had very early on. And, and this stuff is not always so cut and dry. We are a political party. And so how and where and we get money is something that comes under great scrutiny. And while I may even say, well, well, here's this, it's an idea, but before we can actually implement it um, and, and, and go forward with something, that's, you know, a lot of that stuff has to be checked because um, the reason we're here, government, you know, we can't just go out and voluntarily associate and say, here's what we're going to do. Well, you're going to do this. All right. Blah, blah, blah. It's you know, there's all these hoops and restrictions. And and, you know, you're never it, it's really complicated and you're not exactly sure what you can do a lot of times. And so I'm always, you know, looking at looking, you know, I, so right, a lot let, of times. So let me you know, let I, me I, cut I, you off there because okay. we get that point flat out. What is your opinion of Ron Paul? Um, I think Ron Paul has been a fantastic statesman for um, for the Liberty Movement. You know, Ron Paul was the guy that brought me. But my experience um, in the past with some of the people surrounding Ron Paul has been less than desirable. And so actually there was a video response that was put out by Ron Paul just the other day. And if you watch it, you know, it's like, you know, he the whole thing about, oh, you know, convention committee chair bans Ron Paul. Ron Paul is a lifetime member of this party. Ron Paul has absolute ability and, and right to come to the convention as a delegate. And then they say, you know, Ron Paul refused to speak. Well, you know, there's a lot of people that, you know, don't end up speaking uh, for whatever reason or another. And so this is a complex situation. Before Heisey even came to me and pitched his idea, I was had, had, had an idea of getting Ron Paul to the convention um, related to something going on with, with Dr. Walter Block, who's a good friend of mine. And, 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 and that got shot down by everybody. It was basically a three-way abortion debate with Ron Paul doing the, pro, the pro-life thing. And I was like, whoa, okay. Was it, and, was and it, it was shot just, down because of the speakers, or was it shot down because it was about abortion? Oh, let's make it clear. It was because it was about abortion. So, so the whole time I've been really amenable to this. Part of what's going on here, when, when, with, with, with Mr. Heisey, you know, 
there's there's this whole thing. And like he, there, I've got a screen cap of him saying, you know, somebody says, "How's the Kugel?" And, and he's like, "It's working." So this whole thing, you know, I, I I didn't just fall off the turnip truck. So I was working in good faith, but I, I you know I always had this feeling. It's like, look, this is something that somebody is is looking to use for some kind of political advantage. And, and I was literally at a point to where I was going to request with Mr. Heisey because we'd been working together and it seemed to mostly be going well. And, and I was thinking about asking him if he'd be interested in being um, my assistant speaker coordinator. And, you know, but then I saw some other, you know, rhetoric or, or ratcheting up of, of, of uh, stuff towards the, the, the LNC and the current leadership <clears throat> when we were supposed to be burying the hatchet. <clears throat> and however he got there, it was at that point I decided this is somebody that I really was not interested in working with. So why would you? So, why, so let me ask you, why would you send him a message in December with the Ron Paul article where he basically, you know, talks about how the current leadership so, of the party? I mean, being current leadership, you would you would probably take that personally, uh, and and so, I would so say he, like he, they don't really need to do a lot to make the current leadership of the Libertarian Party look bad. So why would you? Why would you, if you felt that he wasn't in uh, in your corner, why would you send him a so message again, giving him an now, ammunition? Now, now, you see, what I'm talking about, that, that decision of how, how I didn't want to work with him anymore, it was January. Okay. Okay. So, all right. So, so, so that's in the timeline there. And, and you know, in that article, he, he says, I unprofessionally ignored his, 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 his meetings, even though I saw him. Well, you know, if you've got your, your computer open or whatever, or it's on that thing, I think a lot of times it'll show do think that person there. So so just because somebody doesn't respond to you, I mean, do you have to act like some kind of stalker boyfriend and send somebody five messages within within like, you know, two hours of going, hey, hey, hey. And he sent the final message that was something along the lines of, okay, hey, I'll let uh, Ron Paul's representative know that, that you guys aren't interested uh, in in having them at the conference. And I, I sent them. I sent them a little thumbs up as a response. And as I sent that thumbs up, I said, "Well, what I'm really interested in is not working with you anymore." And 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 look at the article. Find where I've ever said, other than that, where where I said I wasn't interested in having Judge Napolitano there. Because another thing about the convention, there are certain places where. Um, you know, you're going to put speakers in certain sorts of events. And with what was left relative to spots, there were, um, you know, another with regards to Ron Paul, I didn't necessarily feel like that they were the right um, places for him. And look, for example, uh, you know, uh, the spot I was interested in maybe having the judge at would be at our gala. Still would be be interested in having uh, Judge Apollo at, at the gala. Um, I just it's got to do with a certain dynamic and it's a matter of opinion and and people make decisions. But um, so you could see how that but you could see how that thumbs up is essentially an affirmation that you don't want Ron Paul. If he says, I'll tell them you're not interested. Hold on. Hold on. No, if he he says, I'll tell Ron Paul's people that you're not interested and you give them a thumbs up. You could see how that he would take that as an uh, an affirmation of what he was trying to say. Okay, but 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 but, but once again. So people make decisions all the time, and there's a lot of things involved here. And with regards to what's trying to be done, the, the convention committee and our budget and the LP does not have the money, or it certainly did not have the money at that point to try and spend 
you know, up to $35,000 or $70,000 to have two speakers like that at the convention. Mm -hmm. And so just because we're making some, or I was making some sort of decision, uh, you know, one way or the other. And a lot of times I'll tell people something. And then when we have our meetings, I'll say, so guys, here's what I did. And what do y'all think? And I'll get the input from the committee. And, you know, I'm always willing to revisit things. And, you know, the main the main point out of that, though, was 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 just Mr. Heiss. Look look at the response there. Look at what he did. Because I just said, no, thank you. Right. So, well, but I mean, is is, would you would so. so, And I and I will give you credit. I will to in your defense. It isn't necessarily professional to take a screenshot and blast it out there. And 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 I asked Mr. Heiss before this interview, did you. Are you the one who sent this to Liberty Hangout? Are you the one that, you know, he said he had an interview with Reason set up. Are you the one that really pushed this story? And uh, I, so I have to ask you, there's only two people that could have put those screenshots out there and made this a story. Are you the one who sent screenshots to other people, or in your opinion, was it Mr. Heiss? I, so people will have seen that recently I've been sharing screenshots of things, Um I have not sent those screenshots to anyone. Okay. So before before that, so, so in other words, these are confidential negotiations, and sometimes or should be, and sometimes things don't work out. Right. So in was your decision to really say no thanks to Ron Paul? Was it a combination, or was it a definitive part of the article that Ron Paul wrote? About the leadership of the so, LP, or or was it more the relationship with Mr. Heiss had gone wrong? So so um, you know, let me, let me let me find this particular uh, screen cap I have here in my phone. Okay, so this is from back in October. This is one that I've started sharing around in some of the various Facebook posts. Um, and I said, also, I've thought more about it. And since we have a video address from Ron Paul in the main hall last year, I would want to just focus on the judge. If Ron decided he wanted to come to the convention, I would work it out. But I don't want to seek him out since we did that in 2016 and he sent a video address. So so what that means right there, and they keep saying, oh, well, that's October. And they're talking about stuff in November. You know, things change. And, and like I said, I see that. And, and, and the whole thing, I, I was, I'm not particularly interested for this particular reason, but just because the spot I've got, the spots I have open, this is not like Freedom Fest. You know, the Libertarian Party convention is especially about business. Now, I'd like to expand it and make it more than that, but there's a limited number of spots that we can have major speakers. People have this idea that we're going to have speakers wall to wall, but people are there at the convention mostly to do business. Platforms, bylaws, have elections and stuff like that. And and, and the speakers are a sideline. Now, I'd love for the Libertarian National Convention to be the premier liberty event every time it occurs in the country. And I think it should be. And it should be not just the people there making the sausage. You should have more and more people that are involved in coming and going to see the breakouts and going to see side things and people having to make hard decisions of who I'm going to see because it makes it that much more valuable. You like when you've got to weigh that and it's just it's better for the overall uh, liberty movement relative to the Libertarian Party because we end up uh, you know, not just preaching to the choir. Right. So and, you, and I think so, that's, a, that's a really... All so, right. So ahead. you, and just a couple more questions on this. So you had indicated in October, before the sending of the article in December, that you were were more interested in the judge than Ron Paul. 
And then, yes. and then he wrote the article. What was your impression of the article that Ron Paul wrote, basically saying the Libertarian Party has failed to live up to what it should, and 2016 was less than desirable for the party? So, so I made a comment that that we, we referenced earlier, and when I kind of interjected, where Mr. Heisey wrote about it, and, and and he used the word we, but if you look at the screen cap. I said, Ron Paul doesn't know, I'm paraphrasing, I might not have it exactly right, but Ron Paul doesn't know what the LP is about. Now, is that saying Ron Paul doesn't know anything about libertarianism? Please, come on, really? The guy that brung me, okay? Come on. That's not what that says. When is the last time that Ron Paul has talked to a current leader of the libertarian party, the libertarian national committee? When is the last time he talked to our chair? Personally, so you know that's my point. Ron Paul's saying something, but he's hearing things from people, and I think a lot of it's got to do with the staff. I and mean, look, Ron Paul's, you know, he he's, he's deserves to be able to rest on his laurels from the past. But but the fact that he something like that is put out, there's an agenda being pushed. If you see, you know, that video response that was done with him, there seemed to be something pushed. And if you looked at the at the way it was it was posted. That, uh, Ron Paul is not getting on Facebook and posting things himself. His staff, the people around him, are pushing a certain narrative that is not necessarily exactly what Ron Paul thinks. And so I have to say this. Look, and, and, and I even said it uh, the other day. If Ron Paul shows up at our convention, if he walked in the door and showed up at our convention and just said, hey, I was able to show up and I had no idea about it, I would probably say, Dr. Paul, I will find you a spot on, somewhere to speak to to the, to the to the body and work something out and get some kind of thing, even if it was having him do an intro to one of the meal speakers where we're having having a meal or something like that, or you know we'd figure something out. And, and so you know Ron Paul is a member in good standing. He's got a lot of support. What what we have here with this situation is somebody over t- taking a few small snapshots of something that's been going on over five or six months or, or at least four months. I don't want to exaggerate over extended period of time and trying to act like this was just like, hey, you know, let's have this. And then we say no to Ron Paul and, and, and the judge. And like I said before, the judge, I have been interested in, never lost interest in him. I did. So there's a screenshot in there when I was like, hold on, wait a second. Um, I, I can't necessarily get involved with this because, you know, these are not the only people that we're pursuing. These are not the only avenues that we have. And this was a really complicated sort of a situation and possibly some quid, illegal quid pro quos with how you set it up. So it has to be done properly. And that's something that, that was, you know, made it, made it, that, that's another factor that figures in there. So, so part of my thing is like, when I see this video, I'm like, this is not, not worth it. And I'm like, oh, Ron Paul's out. That was me trying to say to him, let's quit talking about him and let's focus on the judge. We had phone conversations, and I and I said to him, I was like, "Listen, no, I'm really interested in the judge. That's who I'd love to get." And then that article that Mr. Heisey just put out, he's saying, "Well, it's a package deal, Ron Paul and, and, and the judge. I think it's it's something along those lines. You know, they, they, the judge isn't interested in coming if his if his friend Ron isn't coming. Well, how does he even know that? All right, Has so that been, so let me let me yeah. let I, I feel like we've we've completely covered that, and I feel you've done a good job of making your case, and as Paul said in the chat, you can tell that Michael released the screen caps because he's in blue. Uh, so I just want to ask a couple questions because you are on the LNC, and I've called for Arvin Vora's resignation. And 
as as Michael points out, Michael Heiss, the head of the Mises Caucus, basically says we're we're not focusing on purity, and that's why we're losing. Which I will, after this interview, get into why. What is the tension between Ron Paul and the Libertarian Party? Because this is not new, uh, and I'll give you all the seeds of that. But uh, the idea of being pure and st- you know going out there and beating people in the face with hardcore libertarianism. Arvin, Arvin Vora, the current vice chair, is obviously a proponent of that and is saying some pretty controversial things that, in my opinion, as I've said in my call for his resignation, does not move people to libertarianism. It moves people away from them. What is your personal opinion of Arvin Vora and what is happening on the LNC in regards to Arvin? So Arvin is an incredibly bright person. Arvin is super smart. Arvin uh, is really, really, really good at messaging. So what he has done with the things he's done, he knows absolutely what he's doing. The, the thing about it, is, and, and look, and, and, and I think that that is a bad uh, outcome for the Libertarian Party. And, and, and back up there, though, when you first started, did Mr. Heisey say we need to be pure, or is is that Arvin, or is that a reference to Arvin? No, I think there, uh, and I, I I don't want to lump Mr. Heisey in with uh, Arvin, but there it, 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 there are two strains within the Libertarian Party. There's what I would call the pragmatics versus versus the radicals. If you want to be very binary about it, obviously it's much more complex than that. Uh, but there, there are a group of people who, by and large, want to say the most, basically the most anarcho-capitalist thing you can, and that idea of saying what our vision of what we would look like at the end of our process, wh- what the world should look like, will bring people to the Libertarian Party, versus a group of people within the party who believe politics exists as it is now, and this is the framework that we work within, and how do we... How do we propose so, policy? And Arvin so, so is definitely in that ex- in that latter camp. Explain to me though. So you, I mean, you, you you know, that's one thing that's had me very curious because uh, isn't the Mises Caucus filled with people that are basically anarcho-capitalists? And so Arvin's basically advocating for getting government out of things, getting rid of government, and those should be positions that they agree agree, agree with, even if he's expressed them poorly, and. Uh, you know, so so th- this is not this is more of some some kind of gotcha type politics. This is about political advantage. There are people. I mean, if you guys don't see it, you know, this this whole intent, uh, I, I think uh, this last one has been engineered to or, or opportunity was wait opportunists were waiting to try and make political advantage out of this but at the expense of the party. In defense of those people, when Nick Sarwark, who I think Nick has functionally been a great chair. I think the office is operating as good as it's ever operated. I think that the hires that he's made at the party, along with the LNC, has been good. But Nick has these little snarky comments, and he just seems to not be able to help himself, and it makes not only him look bad, but also the entire party. And so when he makes these snarky comments against, you know, not only Tom Woods, but also myself— you know, and Jason Stapleton, and like the people who have the big microphones, and you can't fight back. And it, and it's, you can see how Nick's comments about Tom Woods and the Mises uh, Institute, how that only contributes to this being a bigger deal. 
Because then you start to go, well, maybe I'm not welcome if I read Rothbard in the Libertarian Party. I mean, you're kind of the, the, they they do have somewhat of a point that the current LP environment there seems to be this attitude from the top that uh, you know while Arvin may be a purist, uh, Nick Nick is is certainly taking a shot at the more right leaning libertarians in the party. And, um, I, and I'm sorry to make you defend another person's statements, but. I, I think that's an important piece of this puzzle. So, so, so let's get into this. Is Tom Tom was an intellectual? I believe so. Yes. So, 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 what appalled me with Tom Woods with that Twitter fight, and 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 that said, you know, I don't think that whole petition or whatever. I don't think that was well conceived, and it just didn't do any good. But, I, but part of Nick's thing was there was people that were conflating the the LP, especially with Cantrell and all that stuff that went down, conflating them with you know, the alt-right, the Nazi movement, and things like that. And he want, he felt the need to distance it. Didn't it do that the best way he could? No. But, however, Mr. Woods is supposed to be an intellectual, and he sure did get down in the dirt. The thing that really got me wired with the whole situation when I saw it on Twitter was, you know, a guy that I, I, I arranged to pay to come to speak at the 2016 convention is, is, is you know, one, he's call, you know, this guy's an intellectual, and he calls Nick Sarwak a pansy and low IQ. Well, one thing about that people don't know about Nicholas Sarwak, Nicholas Sarwak went to college, I think, when he was 13. So for somebody to say that Nick's that, that kind of ad hom is just, just, you know, it's it's not what should be happening. So so there's bad behavior all around with this situation. And, and, and the fact that you pay somebody to come and speak and then they start, you know, talking, you know, negatively and say, don't donate to the party and things like that. Well, gosh, you know, it doesn't necessarily motivate you a whole lot to, to, to have that kind of experience again. So that's one thing that, that, that also affects, you know, some of the decisions we make with regards to, to speaking and things like that. Um, so, so on Nick, Nick and I, we have philosophical disagreements on things. However, I don't focus on them. Nick, Nick saw, okay, I'm going to, here's, here's some real blunt things. In 2014, I did not vote when, at my first LP convention. I did not vote for Nicholas Sarwak in the first round. I voted for him in the second round. In 2016, I did not vote for Nicholas Sarwak. There was only one round. That said, I was contemplating it, but I was involved with one of these caucuses that was coming in, and we're going to change things. We're going to take the party in a more professional direction. Yada blah 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 blah. And so, jump to Nick Sarwak. 2.0, that being this current term. And Nick started implementing things, hiring certain staff, and moving a plan, and moving the office in a direction that was absolutely where I wanted. And so while Nick is is sometimes snarky about things, because it's part of his personality, and I, 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 I'm sure Nick sits there and thinks, eh, gosh, you know, maybe not. Um, or maybe he doesn't. But I know this mouth I've got, you know, People have no idea how much of a filter I put on it, I'm, 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 you know, and, and it's still bad. And, and, you know, so so, you know, I said to somebody the other day, I'm a terrible politician. But one thing that I am is I will work my ass off for this party. I take so much of my time out to do this and I'm not asking for pats on the back. My reward is seeing us succeed. So as I see this party, you know, grow and the, re the revenue increases and, and things become more organized that's got me thinking we're going in the right direction and you know so, so somebody that was not you know fully in nick's court after this term 
I've made it very, very, very clear that I am Team Sarwar. I think Nick is moving in the right direction. He still has has room to grow, but so do a lot of us. And you know what he's brings. To, people think that that the the chairman of the Libertarian Party, all they do is talk. And Chris, you know because you've been an ED and things like that. You know there's a lot more to that role than than that. And um, you know Nick, the, the, what he's been doing, he's taking us to the next level. And the thing about Nick is when he talks to you know um, you know major donors or media outlets. And he's got his pro face on and stuff like that, as opposed to you know the social media. It's it, this thing's like a poison. It's it's great, but it's it's bad. When he does that, he inspires confidence in them. Of, he of makes course, them think, you know, what, these guys are going in the right it, way. It, it's Donald Trump would have a sixty percent approval rating if he just shut the hell up and stayed off of Twitter. And Nick Nick would be in the same position and has the same problem. And in the Nick, it, Nick would probably actually Nick would probably have an eighty percent approval. Right. Yes, point, because point I mean, compared to Mark Hinkle, he has been an absolute stellar chair. But he just uh, and so people like me who are not I, I, listen, I'm I'm a Libertarian Party person, but I'm not willing at this point in my life to spend a lot of time, you know, cleaning up the dog kennel. And uh, I just don't. And I think there are a lot of people like myself who just like are uninspired to go to New Orleans to vote for somebody who is going to keep turning out more uh, turds. I, so, I just... so, so, okay, but look at what you got here. We've got two people running for office. Do you think that the other person running against him is not going to set up more turds? He sure is dropping a whole lot of turds all over the place. He's involved with, us, with, with the Mises Caucus, with Adam Kokesh, with Marissa Hamilton. If you watch, if people watch, I'm, I went ahead and said that, that group is doing a concerted effort to make the LP the LNC looked bad with the intention of advantaging them at the expense of this party and our people that are trying to get elected. We were spent, we spent last night with a motion to try and suspend our vice chair when, when mayor of Calamasa, Jeff Hewitt, who serves as the region four rep on the LNC was on that, that conference call video conference when he was supposed to be at a ribbon cutting. With 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 a, 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 a Native American tribe, and so that's part of the things that's been wasted by this. And let's get into that whole vote last night because I think that was actually getting into it, part it, of your set question. Set that up and explain it, please. So so our vice chair has made some con- that being Arvin Vora for the Libertarian National Committee has made um, you know some statements on on social media that have inflamed certain segments of the population. I think most um, of the population, I think they're pretty disgraceful. And I think any any rational thinking person would look at uh, equating teachers and soldiers with rapists would go, what is this person thinking? This is not a clear person think this is not a clear thinking person. And in defense of Arvin, Arvin in his time in the vice chair role has completely changed the social media game of the Libertarian Party and t- Arvin turned Borough it around. 1.0 was much better than Arvin Vora 2.0. Right, and he's going to not be vice chair because of, of of this, and I don't understand it because Arvin 1.0, as you said, did do a lot he's of great. good. It, and, and so I don't understand why, why our chair, A, is silent on any of this, and B, our chair and our vice chair can't take this, no, so, this negative social feedback from people like myself and, and other the people that I talk to, the people in my audience, and go, maybe they're right. Maybe I should just not double down, triple down, and continue this crusade to alienate people from the party. I, I don't, I don't understand. And to me, that is a fundamental failure of leadership 
so, on both so, of their parts. So let, me, let me get into that, Chris, because because you know I'm you know I'm I'm a full disclosure kind of guy. And hey, let I me was, let, let me just say I apologize for making you defend the statements of other people. That's not your role. I fully acknowledge that. But so, if, so if, where I'm where I'm going with but this I am interested in an LNC member's I'm opinion. To, yeah, but I'm going to talk about my votes. Okay. And, and uh, you know I serve at the will of the delegates. And somebody said, well, you need to start talking to the delegates. No, listen, that means I serve at the will of the delegates. I intend to. Uh, to seek to be on the Libertarian National Committee again as an at-large in the same role that I have. I believe I've, I've done a lot of work um, to help move the party in a positive direction. I certainly can do better, but um, I think I have a lot to offer the party. However, if our delegates no longer think that, then I will um, go back to being the local and state activist that I am and, and maybe still make myself available for some of the subcommittees and stuff like that if there's something that I can help out with for the National Party. But other than that, you know, my, 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 my role in the, um, the, the, the Libertarian Party is not entirely defined by being uh, on the National Committee. Um, I am a local activist. I am an activist. I, do, I lobby at our state capitol, and, and so those things are important. But, um, you know, so, so back to on the, the, the vote that happened last night. Um, this was an ongoing topic. And, and I, I think people know, uh, if, you, if you look over things, I am not happy with the statements that Arvin's been making. I do not think they are constructive. I think they are, are definitely uh, a net loss in, in a large direction. However, having come from a state, when, when I joined the LP, one of the reasons why the leadership at that time, to my understanding, was trying to expand and add the, the parish executive committees was that with the way their bylaws are written, that would have put more votes on our our um, our state committee. And they there had been a, a move for about a year and they were in a four year cycle, which that's like forever in libertarian terms. Never never go to a four year cycle for your um, for your leadership in the yeah, LP. It's but uh but but a year into it I came into a bunch of people that were involved in infighting. And that that whole cycle continued through that whole term. And at during the last round of the infighting there were, I, th I think it was 72 grievances of petty BS submitted to our ad hoc judicial committee. And, and you know, like there was not a lot of good that came out of that. So, so one thing that I, I realize is when you start with, with trying to remove people and go after people, it doesn't stop there. You know, you look at the French Revolution and Dalton threw the aristocracy on the guillotine and then they, then the, they threw him on the guillotine. After that, it, it's it's you know it doesn't stop stop with one person. It's got a really strong tendency to do that. So give me a sum um, give me a summation, please. Summation is you know I've got some lady pointing at me. Hold, all right, hold. all right, yeah, I, and I fully understand. Give, that. give me one second. Yeah, sure. No, that's fine. I, I mean, what's that? To be fair, um, thirty minutes. Uh, let me mute him. Okay. He's uh, getting okay. in trouble with right. his wife for being long winded. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm being tro tro troed out here. I, I got I got time though. I told her thirty. All right. Minutes. Yeah. So uh, this is this is I got I've got two more minutes with you here. Uh, so give me give me just a couple. Give me your final thoughts on Arvin Vora. Why why should I stay involved in the Libertarian Party despite having a vice chair or a chair that doesn't fully represent my beliefs or behave in a way that I find uh, 
leader. L leader. It's not but, leadership. But, but because because the only person that can represent you 100% is you. The Libertarian Party is a party made up of individuals that come together through voluntary association. Yes, I get the fact that, you know, some people are like, well, we want to voluntarily disassociate from Arvin. There are rules involved in that. And when you engage in discipline, it, it wouldn't be done anytime soon. It's something that's going to it. It, it, it seems like it'll make it better. But uh, my experiences have been it only makes things worse. So if you actually believe in what the party is, I mean, you know, a lot of us are, are, are fearful for liberty. This is supposed to be about liberty. And yes, you know, people claim, you know, uh, principles over party. But you got to remember, like if somebody in my position, I am a party leader, which means I am required to be partisan. So that said, if, you, if you're unhappy with the direction and the way things are going in, step off of Facebook, get involved, do outreach with people, grow the party. This idea that we're going to do it all on, on social media from, from the comfort of our, of our homes is, is just not reality. Social media can be a great tool. It can be leveraged to an advantage. However, you know, I have jokingly referred all the time that Facebook is the devil. And somebody else actually said that the other day. And I was like, huh, funny. But, uh, you know, it can be, it, it, you know, we see what happens. It magnifies everything. It's, it's, like, it's like the 24-7 news cycle on steroids because people have 24-7 communication with each other. And any little thing can be spread instantly. It goes viral and it becomes much bigger and, than, it, than it is. And un the unfortunate thing is that positive things are much less likely to go viral and be shared than something where there's some sort of controversy. It's just people like to go, go look at the train wreck. And, you know, we've, we've got to get away from that. So, so step away from your keyboards, get involved. You know, it, it's very, it, it is very, very draining if you spend a lot of time on social media and you watch the continuous circular firing squad. There are so many people that are associated as being part of the Libertarian Party that have maybe even never been involved with the LP. They may be anarcho-capitalists or, or some other vein or, or whatever, or they're just trolls. And they, people see that and they think, that's what the LP is about. I don't want any part of this. But the thing is, when you, you know, and it gets very depressing when you're involved with the party. And, but, but when you get out and you start doing outreach and you start dealing with, quote-unquote, civilians – people that are not part of the LP, it's really invigorating. And so we need to quit fighting with the choir. We're not preaching the choir. We're fighting with the choir and go out and talk to other people out in your own community. And, Chris, I'm asking you as the de facto host, you've got a great voice. You've got a good platform uh, here with, with your program. I encourage you to come to New Orleans. You help make the party what you want it to be. Because only you can represent yourself, 100%. Well, I will be there. Uh, I'm going to message you Thank about you. media credentials. Uh, <laughs> but I will definitely be there as I, as I move more into the media realm. But I thank you for being here. How can people find out more information on the convention, when, where, how, what website? So so it's you have to spell it out. It's libertarianconvention.org. Um, you can also – it's kind of long to, to, to type out. You can also go to lp.org. Scroll all the way to the bottom of the page, find the um, the header that says "Get Involved," and there's a link that takes people to to the national convention, um, and they can come to New Orleans June 30th 
through July 3rd. And we will, um, you know, basically look to have a very exciting convention. And I, I, I'd really like people to start focusing. You know, th- look at the, think what the theme of this convention is. I'm that libertarian. People have forgotten that moment. I cannot express enough how people need to see that. And if you see people that are just simply looking to divide people, looking to purge people, are is that really what this party needs? If we are going to actually succeed as a political party, we need more people in there. And I get there's a whole lot of things that need to be fixed in that in that particular realm. But 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 making it worse is not going to make it better. And, you know, yes, there's things that need to be improved with the leadership. But 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 that's part of growing. And we've got a proven track record with a lot of the people that are involved in the LNC right now, including our state our national chairman, Nicholas Sarwak, that 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 is inspiring confidence in major donors. We have we have more money coming into the party. And it's not just about money, but politics is a money game. And that's what's going to help us to start to compete. And so we have got to, to to do more to bring things in. And one of the things I've taken a lot of uh, offense with with some of these other people is when they, they, they start acting like the sky is falling because I've seen it happen. I was involved with a caucus that they were doing that. And that was part of the reason why I nearly nearly switched my vote to Nick. Um, you know, that sky is falling thing. And, and, and trying to put a, a magnifying glass on any and everything that's wrong and even some things that really actually aren't wrong and mischaracterizing things is not going to help the party. You know, it, it, people need to get, get rid of this whole idea of, of, of you know, better to rule in, in, in hell as long as I'm ruling because that seems to be what the case is. We need to try and come together on those things we agree on because I'm that libertarian that lives here in New Orleans. I'm that libertarian that is hoping – to, that we put on the most successful and best convention ever. I'm that libertarian that's sure it's going to be that way. I'm that libertarian that's asking everybody that is interested to come to that convention and get involved. All right. Thanks. thanks for having me, Chris. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Thanks for telling your side of the story, and we appreciate uh, you being here, Daniel. Sure. All right. Uh, thanks for uh, to Daniel for coming on. I, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a little analysis of this and also give you some of the roots of of these arguments because I think it's important. Uh, it's something that I learned years ago. The history of some of these fights, and so when you see a lot of these uh, dog kennel fights, as as Judd Weiss put it so uh, brilliantly. You kind of go, oh, okay, that's that thing. This is the roots of it. And sometimes things are set in motion 50 years before us, and we still enact the same behavior. And I think unless we understand why this stuff happens, we can't stop it because these these little uh, flame wars just come – that's why we have sliding membership. It, it truly is. Um, my take on the uh, Mises Caucus versus the convention – after talking to him, reading all of the stuff that, that Michael Heiss has put out, I do think that Daniel has some merit. Uh, and his argument has merit that the Mises Caucus is taking advantage of a situation to uh, put out a narrative to make them look bad for political gain. Smart politics. And we are a political party, and the idea that we shouldn't play politics is ludicrous. Uh, and that's part of the reason that this exists. This We Are Libertarians podcast, it exists to give you alternative uh, arguments so you can make up the, your mind for And that's what we should do. We should, 
we should have these discussions. We should try and figure out what's going on, as opposed to throwing up our hands and going, I'm not going to get involved because I don't know who's right, so I'm just going to be lazy. People look for any excuse not to be a libertarian, not to be involved in politics, not to be in the Libertarian Party. Uh, but and, and to be quite honest, I, I completely understand the, the notion that you don't want to be involved in the Libertarian Party. Uh, or any political party, that friction, that social friction of people rubbing together consistently gets very exhausting for a lot of people. And I think a lot of libertarians are introverts, and it, it, it sort of wears you down. So that continuous argument is is very tiring. So I get it. Uh, not everybody is as combative as I. Uh, the comments on the Facebook Live are still open. I can uh, I'll glance over there and see what you're saying. So I'd love to hear what you thought of the interview where you kind of come down between these two, uh, what who'd you like to speak at the Libertarian Convention? Uh, obviously, Larry Sharp is a, a, a popular uh, choice in the in the chat. So, uh, I'm going to give you the history of of this this argument with Ron Paul, and let me uh, start by saying I I am a Libertarian because of Ron Paul in 2008, and is the debates in 2008. Seeing him is what made me a Libertarian. I I would say that my politics are the closest political figure is Rand Paul. Uh, I would say that uh, Rand Paul, I almost never disagree with the guy. Uh, but I do feel that there is a cult of personality around the Pauls, especially Ron Paul, that is concerning to me. And I think what we're seeing in this argument and around Ron Paul and some of this is identity politics in libertarian form. And these arguments that we're having uh, are not about policy. It's about identity politics. It's our version of it. And the litmus test has slowly become, as Ron Paul has retired and gotten older, do you support Ron Paul? Do you say anything bad about Ron Paul? Then you're not a libertarian. And I find that to be troubling. I don't, uh, I don't think that Ron Paul does anything to kind of dismiss the idea. Uh, I think he kind of relishes being worshipped, and as someone who jo is jokingly referred to on, on his own podcast as Dear Leader, I, I, I resemble that remark. Uh, but, and I'll play at the end of this, just to give you Ron Paul's take, the four-minute clip that Daniel referenced, so you can hear Ron Paul's thoughts about the convention thing. And you you hear him kind of saying, he's kind of stoking the fire, but he's not, you know, addressing it. He hasn't talked to Daniel. He doesn't really know what's going on, but... Am I, you know, he's stoking it. So to get conversation about Ron Paul started, and there, there are things about Ron Paul that are not always great. Just like any other person, any other human being has flaws, uh, and I think the allowance of the cult of personality around himself is one of those things that I find to be an issue. Uh, I, like I said, there isn't. There are very few people who have done more for the libertarian movement than Ron Paul, so don't get it wrong. I, I greatly respect the man. I've met him. He is uh, a genuinely decent human being. He is a, a the person who had more impact on the modern libertarian movement than any other person. So, you know, and that should be celebrated. But he also shouldn't be a godlike figure that is not able to be criticized. If If the libertarian party had come out and said... We fundamentally don't like that this person, this Republican congressman, continually speaks ill of our party, so we would not like to have him speak at our convention. I'm okay with that. I understand that. 
Uh, and there are a large section of people who go, blah, 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 you know, and look at it, look at it from a, a reasonable perspective. Ron Paul has, since 2008, because of Bob Barr, taken a very dim view of the party. And a lot of his criticisms about the party are completely valid. And I think a lot of what Michael Hayes, Michael Hayes uh, Heiss said in his piece on the Libertarian uh, Mises Caucus website is very valid. And I think there's a lot of issues. And, you know, I, I brought those up in the last hour. So... Ron Paul, I think, is a libertarian hero and a libertarian icon for a reason, but I don't believe that we should uh, ever have any person in the libertarian movement that is above criticism or critical thinking. And everything that he does, like any other political figure, should be examined through the lens of what you believe so you can make the best judgment. Um, you know, so uh, a lot of this goes back to Murray Rothbard. And Murray Rothbard versus the Kochs, the Koch brothers. And I don't think a lot of people really understand the history of Murray Rothbard versus the Koch libertarians. Uh, you know, Murray Rothbard was an absolute genius. Uh, he, he took the Mises uh, and the Austrian economic school to, to prominence, uh, popularized by Ron Paul's runs. I mean, they... Ron Paul, when he ran in 2008-2012, took Mies, the Mises Institute and uh, Murray Rothbard and implemented it in most people's minds as this is libertarianism. And I do have – I have uh, friction with a lot of uh, people who are, who are absolute devotees of both because they assume that, like you know, our friend Roger Paxton and the, and the anarcho-capitalists that live in New Hampshire, who ironically worship the – Republican congressman who is uh, a statist, <laughs> in the, by their definition, um, you know they there is this strain of thought amongst them that they are the libertarians and this is the only strain of libertarian thought that counts. I don't buy that. I think it is uh, a I'm I am not good with economics. Okay, I'm not. I, I I'm interested in people. I'm an ENFJ. I love people. I love how people interact. But once we start adding math to human interaction and human action, I start to go, I don't get what you're saying. So I rely on people like Murray Rothbard to to explain economics to me. And I've learned a lot. Like Anatomy of the State uh, is a very short book, very good book for, for you to read. I, I previously was anti-Mises, anti-Rothbard because of those interactions with people and listening to Lou Rockwell, who I think is a tremendously negative person, uh, despite his work, which has benefited the libertarian movement. When I listen to his podcast, I just get depressed. <laughs> so so I, I, for a while there, didn't listen to a lot of uh, Murray Rothbard and uh, a lot of the, the Mises crowd. But Tom Woods, listening to his podcast, I think he is... Um, I love Tom Woods. I think he has taken the the negative edge off of everything and given a very positive spin and been a very good ambassador for a lot of people for the Mises the Mises crowd and uh, has really reawakened my interest in a lot of Mises and Hayek and Rothbard. But Murray Rothbard was very influential and involved in the beginning of the Libertarian Party, the beginning of National Review, the beginning of the Cato Institute. Murray Rothbard uh, 
you know, the betrayal of the right kind of outlines his traveling through various political circles from the beginning of the right with, you know, National Review over to the left. And he's a very interesting character. He's a very uh, divisive character. And I think a lot of that has to do with his personality uh, and his willingness to call it as he sees it. And and I say divisive not in a negative way, just in that sometimes when you are so sure of the truth and so sure of what you believe, people take that personally sometimes, uh, which, you know, he may have not been uh, a dick on purpose. You hear people describe Murray Rothbard as a dick. But sometimes when you're just confident in what you believe, people take that personally, and that's that's a weird thing. Uh, so reformedlibertarian.com, is is a great website I actually dis, uh, discovered in prepping for this episode, and he, he this this author if I can get my fingers to work I'll tell you uh, C J G A A Y Engel is the editor and creator of the Reformed Libertarian and he wrote a summation of David Gordon's work a three part series on uh, the relationship of Murray Rothbard with the Koch brothers, and I want to read to you certain sections of this. Um, because I think it's really interesting because a lot of what you hear about what was happening in the 70s and 80s, we're still experiencing many years later. Uh, and obviously the Koch brothers are the, you know, they're from Wichita, Kansas. Their dad, uh, David, David and Charles Koch are who are usually referred to when you talk about the Koch brothers, although there's two other brothers. Uh, their dad got their interest in political and economic matters from their father, who was heavily involved involved in the John Birch Society, uh, and they got their, their wealth from their father. During his schooling, uh, C.J. writes, Charles stumbled upon the work of Murray Rothbard and eventually decided to use a piece of his billion-dollar wealth to fund an organization dedicated to promote libertarian ideas. In fact, Charles was so enthusiastic about Murray that Murray was one of the four original stockholders of the organization, along with an, another important character of the story, Ed Crane. Of course, Charles was the majority stockholder. It should also be mentioned that the Koch Empire was behind the creation of Reason Magazine, the Institute for Humane Studies, Students for Liberty, George Mason University's economic think tank, the Mercatus Center, and Americans for Prosperity. Due to Koch money, and now the Charles Koch Institute, and a lot of, a lot of the things that you love about the Libertarian Party, the, the, the resources that you use have been backed by Koch money, and so... Uh, when libertarians hate the Koch brothers, I don't quite get it, but I think this article kind of explains it. Um, this began, now it's called the Kochtopus. The organization that the Koch started for the advancement of Rothbardianism and Austrianism was the Cato Institute in 1977. The name was Rothbard's idea, based on Cato's letters. Um, Rothbard was thrilled. Here was the reward for decades of tireless and lonely efforts to carry forward the dying flame of the Misesian economics. For years, Rothbard was nearly alone in his appreciation for the Austrian school and his gloriously stubborn dedication to the strict property rights theory of liberty. But finally, an organization which could host him and advance the message of the next generation. Uh, and, and I find that inspiring. I mean, here's somebody who is so dead set in their belief and stubborn in what they believe and unwilling to compromise that Rothbard's name I think will live for generations and, and and I think eventually the way that history shakes out Austrian economics will be because of technology the way that most of us live post city-state uh, government 
Unfortunately, the problem started early. Charles Koch had hired Ed Crane to run the day-to-day operations of Cato and Rothbard to lead the intellectual and academic development. Crane's pragmatism over principal mentality on the growing Cato Institute led him to both downplay the organization's goal of developing intellectual content of a libertarian think tank, the reason Cato started in the first place, and later in the story to dismiss academic contributions of Rothbard and his scholars as, mere, as a mere distraction. The head of Cato's Inquiry magazine was Bill Evers. He was berated by Crane for focusing too much on the development of ideas and not enough on gaining influence in Washington. Here we see a glimpse into the future of the pragmatist versus principle debates that flourish in the libertarian movement today. Um, in the context of this tension, and I'm skipping paragraphs for the, for the sake of time, but I will link this at wearelibertarians.com in the show notes if you want to read all of these articles. Things began to break down when Rothbard discovered that the decision had been made to hire David Henderson, who was not an, econo- an economist in the Austrian school, but rather le- leaned far to the Chicago school, which was best represented by uh, Milton Friedman, uh, the Chicago School of Economics, uh, University of Chicago. This was a very important event in the unfolding of his relationship, Rothbard's relationship with the Cato Institute, because the entire mission of Cato in the first place was to give Rothbard an outlet to advance the Austrian vision. So to hire one, one person from a different school, uh, put the message of Cato at odds. Um, the next step in flaring tensions was the efforts of Crane and Koch in 1980. They went all in for LP candidate Ed Clark. Ed Clark and Ed Crane are two different people, so let's keep, I'll try to keep this straight. With the Koch's money behind him, David Koch joined Clark on the LP ticket so the entire campaign could be paid for using Koch's own money. To this day, uh, the, Koch, the, Crane, the, the Clark-Koch campaign is the highest get— uh, Actually, I think Gary Johnson may have beat them, but it was always the highest uh, of all the vote totals. So, you know, for— it kind of undermines the argument of the purists. If we just are pure enough and give a pure message, then we, we will win. Well, the most successful campaign pre-Gary Johnson and all the media that he got, uh, which was why he was successful, was Clark and, and Coke giving a more pragmatic message. Um, so, in short, it was, uh, and I skipped, I'm skipping an important part, but basically Rothbard was pissed that Crane, Clark, and Koch all started to redefine libertarianism as a low-tax liberal. The idea that we are, uh, you know, e- economically conservative and fiscally liberal, that is uh, a direct result of this, and Rothbard didn't like that. Uh, he assailed this as a betrayal of the libertarian principle. Um, so, in short, it was due to the positioning of Hoke and Crane and the person of Ed Clark that Gary Johnson is now misconstruing libertarianism as fiscally conservative and socially liberal. Um, the underlying differences here are obvious, and therefore the problem was festering far deeper than just disagreement over a silly campaign. Rothbard emphasized and stressed the need for scholarship and developing ideas. Crane and Koch, however, sought to secure the audiences of power. Murray Rothbard's own and separate newsletter that was in print from 69 to 84, the Libertarian Forum, which you can read, uh, I think, at the Mises website. A lot of great stuff in there and all publicly available. Lou Rockwell has done a great job of preserving all of Murray Rothbard, Mises. Jeffrey Tucker played a hand in that. We've In, in an interview with him, he told us he was responsible for putting up 
all of uh, this great material. You can get all kinds of free ebooks at Mises.org. Same with Fee. Now that Jeffrey Tucker's there, he's taking the the uh, taking the show on the road to Fee, Fee.org, and uh, also our friends at the online uh, Liberty Library. You can get a lot of great books there too. So, um, here was Rothbard's independent outlet, free from the chains of cranes and the Charles Koch strict oversight of PR matters. Uh, he was able to announce the libertarian world as the true roots, uh, he writes. So um, it, it started to continually break down. And as things got worse uh, over time, Rothbard was removed from his position at Cato and no longer invited to speak. And as for the legal problem, namely Rothbard's stakeholder status, it soon became apparent to Rothbard that battling the billionaire brothers was beyond question going to result in a tragedy for Rothbard. He would go broke. I mean, and so Crane informed Rothbard that his shares had been arbitrarily voided and Rothbard could no longer participate in board meetings. Rothbard knew it was over. As Rothbard later accounted, Crane, uh, and he called anybody who was a supporter of Cato and Crane, craniacs at the time, uh, as a pejorative, Crane aided and abetted by Coke ordered me to leave Cato's regularly quarter board meeting. The Crane-Coke action was not only iniquitous and high-handed, but also illegal, as my attorneys informed them before and during the meeting. They didn't care. What's more, in order to accomplish this foul deed to their own satisfaction, Crane and Coke literally a portion uh, uh, appropriated and confiscated the shares, which I had naively left in Coke's Wichita office for safekeeping, an act clearly in violation of our agreement, as well as contrary to every tenet of libertarian principle. So this was his property, and he's he left the property in Koch's office, and Koch stole it. And so Rothbard was wiped out clean of a stake in Cato, and was no longer welcome. He was uncompromisingly his uncompromising mentality and dedication to the libertarian system, over and above his dedication to popularity, had once again done him in. Um, so. This sets uh, the, I mean, he was appropriately pissed. <laughs> you know, that was a pretty cra crappy thing to do. Uh, at Cato, they remain anti-gold standard, pro-central banking, and non and anti-non-interventionism, which I don't agree with that statement, but uh, you can certainly find some of their scholars who are a lot of uh, all of those things and anti Ron Paul all this because they remain anti Rothbard uh, Gordon writes as mentioned in part one the Coctopus strategy strongly opposes the Mises Institute which aims to continue the Rothbardian policy policy of Austrian economics laissez-faire and peace that Cato was established to promote uh, reason now under Koch patronage did not react to Ron Paul's the revolution uh, they should praise it but they didn't they said so this is the 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 beginning of the split uh and f for f anybody who was a friend of Rothbard was appropriately horrified by this and then there started this feud and so and it's more on the side of the Massesian crowd where they are um, th that's why you will find the Ron Paul's, Mises crowd, the even Tom Woods to some extent, anti-Cato, anti-reason. They, the, they call them Cosmotarians. Anybody who is affiliated with these organizations, they don't, they don't mess with. Uh, and reason and any Coke-affiliated group doesn't really 
spend a lot of time talking about um, any of this. I didn't understand this because I was reading Reason in 2008, 2012, going, why aren't they covering Ron Paul as much as you'd think they would? And this explains it. <laughs> so it also explains why Ron Paul uh, does not care for the Libertarian Party. Uh, although he did run in 88, pre this split. Um, let's see here. The The final straw, I think, for Ron Paul was 2008. We we had nominated Bob Barr. I was not a, I, I started the Libertarian uh, Party after Bob Barr's nomination. Uh, at the time, I was still, you know, casting off a lot of my Republican beliefs, and so I was in favor of Bob Barr. Looking back and being further down the Libertarian rabbit hole, I see he... Uh, he was a huge mistake and really was, I mean, just <laughs> Bob Barr is, is he pretended for a while. He did a great job pretending that he was switching parties and a libertarian. Uh, but in 2008, in September, um, this is from Dana Milbank and the Washington Post, uh, posted at herald.com, heraldnet.com. Bob Barr goes hog wild after Ron Paul event. Now, Ron Paul had given up the goat, and, uh, you know, my my official, um, I stopped being a Republican when I went to the 2008 convention in the state of Indiana. I was the only reporter in the entire state to cover all three conventions. And uh, the Republican convention at that time kicked out about 300, some say 600, Ron Paul delegates in 2008. And I just remember this woman coming up to the media stand and nobody there would talk to her. But I was I was like 23 and kind of libertarian leaning. So I talked to her and she's just weeping about how this had all how this had all gone down. And it was one of the biggest mistakes uh, talking to some party people later on in the Republican Party. They said it was one of the biggest mistakes they'd ever made because it happened in every state convention across the nation. Ron Paul delegates were systematically removed so they couldn't go to the uh, Washington, to the main convention that year and not vote for the main, you know, for John McCain eventually and Mitt Romney. And they did it twice. I mean, I remember in 2008 and again in 2012 them illegally changing the convention rules in the Indiana State Convention to screw over Ron Paul delegates. I had county chairs because they didn't know my affiliation when I worked for a news talk radio station. They think, oh, he's in talk radio. He must be a Republican saying, oh, the second we hear somebody's a Ron Paul delegate or a Ron Paul fan, we kick them out of the party so fast. And then 10 minutes later, I remember this person saying, you should come. You should be a libertarian. You should be a Republican. You should join the party. I heard you uh, are a libertarian party person. He goes, I go, OK, how can I possibly reform the party if you're going to kick me out because I like Ron Paul? So the Republican Party uh, clearly was hostile towards Ron Paul. He was never going to get the nomination because they, the party was so corrupt. Um, and so after he didn't get the nomination, he uh, held this event in, in September, and he invited all the third-party candidates. Uh, I forget who the Constitution, I think it says it in this article. Uh, he invited Bob Barr, Ralph Nader, Cynthia McKinney, and Chuck Baldwin to the event. Chuck was the Constitution candidate who Ron Paul would go on to eventually endorse, Bob Barr the Libertarian. Ralph Nader was, I think, an independent, and then Cynthia McKinney, who was the Green Party. Cynthia McKinney, certifiably insane. Um, so 
So Ron Paul wants to elevate third-party candidates after the treatment that he got in 2008. So he puts on this event, and uh, Dana Milbank writes, Ron Paul, the libertarian gadfly, the Washington press never was going to give him a, a shot, who, lon who launched a mass movement and his failed bid for the GOP nomination convened a third-party unity event at the National Press Club today to bring Bob Barr, Ralph Nader, Cynthia McKinney, and Chuck Baldwin together into one big happy family. But as soon as Ron Paul reached out to apply to the uh, applied the Revlon to the snout, Bob Barr went hog wild, turning in, into a barnyard brawl. Uh, Paul told the crowd at Ballroom, "I'm during the event. He is on stage, saying, I'm very pleased that we have some special guests here. Three of the candidates are here with me, and I understand Bob Barr is on his way or will be here shortly. Well, not exactly. Barr, the LP candidate for president, never showed for the unity event, instead having an aide hand out notices at the door announcing that he would be making a major campaign announcement at a rival news conference in the same place two hours later. His major announcement that Ron Paul could get lost, Dana Milbank writes, uh, Barr said, I'm not interested in third parties getting the most possible votes. I'm interested in Bob Barr as the nominee for the LP getting the most votes possible. In a further insult, Barr would said he would permit the vastly more popular Paul to be his vice presidential running mate. Imagine the balls that that takes. <laughs> like, like, you don't show up to his event. Who knows if he told him he wasn't showing up. You hold an event and then say, be my vice presidential candidate. Paul Partisans were appalled. Uh, I will be withdrawing my endorsement. A man identifying himself as an independent blogger declared from the audience. Me too, called out another. I was going to vote for the guy, but I think he's about as arrogant as George Bush. Uh, so third-party unity didn't even last a day. Um, so and I'm trying... Uh, yeah, so really, uh, Bob Barr, I can, I can understand his not wanting to be on the same footing as Cynthia McKinney. Like, you don't want a moral equivalency between you and an insane person being made by the national press, but the way that he handled it was so insulting to Ron Paul. And uh, ever since then, Ron Paul Ron Paul didn't give Gary Johnson a chance. By 2016, he was calling him milk toast. And, uh, you know, Gary Johnson was much more ideologically... Paulian in 2012 than he was in 2016. There was this weird thing in the Johnson campaign in 2016 where he thought he would reach out to the left and uh, Weld would re reach out to the right. And Weld, being a member of the Council on Foreign Relations, again, as I said earlier, Gary, you know, Ron Paul used to go on Alex Jones. Uh, the Council on Foreign Relations in libertarian circles is considered the driver of interventionist wars which they kind of they are i mean i i read the council on foreign relations consistently and they are always pushing the narrative of we need to um, intervene in other nations for america's security so the idea that anybody from the Misesian crowd or ron paul was that was going to endorse bill weld a ticket with bill weld was ludicrous from the beginning so that's why you get Ron Paul continually, you know, even though the ideology of the Libertarian Party and Ron Paul are the closest, that's why you see him endorse Chuck Baldwin, the Constitutional Party candidate, staying out of things in 2016. That's why you get that kind of tension between the two. So when Nick Sarwark, uh, who is a very intelligent man, who probably understands this, if I can understand it, Nick can understand it. When he when he tries to uh, 
slap the Misesian crowd. That's why there's such a strong clap back from that crowd towards the LP. The LP and uh, I applaud Michael Heiss and the, the Mises caucus for trying to heal this rift. But I also think that they need to understand that a lot of this has to do with personalities. The Cokes screwing over Murray Rothbard in the 80s has nothing to do with our ideology, ideology now and our policies that we're trying to promote now. And the the rhetorical argument of we need to be pure and not milk toast is a very clever way for people who agree with the Cosmotarians and the Reason crowd and the Cato crowd, 99%, let's say 90% of the time, uh, it's a clever way to keep everybody hemmed into a certain camp. Uh, and, you know, people like me come along who, who, who respect both. And I think there are a majority of libertarians now 40 years after all this happened, 30 years, going, I don't get the hostility. Why Why can't we just get along? I understand the history, but, like, Murray Rothbard's no longer alive. I don't know if Ed Clark and Ed Crane are even alive, but they're definitely not invo- involved in the Cato Institute. Um, you know, there, there's, there is a fundamental purpose served by the Mises and the Cato Institute. The, the Mises Institute is that anchor that keeps us moored to pure libertarian principle. We need those people in the movement who bring purity to the libertarian movement because we need to see, we never need, we can never lose sight of that. Because if you look at the conservative movement, they have continually drifted away from their principles. And now you have a president who believes American exceptionalism is, you know, white culture, military power, and the most resources and money in the world. Well, none of that is libertarian. None of that is even conservative. It is it is all relative. It's unmoored from individualism. It's unmoored from capitalism. It's unmoored from free markets. It's unmoored from peace, the things that we believe. Uh, and Donald Trump isn't intelligent enough to really, he's not a deep enough thinker to kind of understand where he's at. And I see a lot of libertarians kind of reacting in that same vein. Uh, not, you know, the, there are people who are reacting towards they're they're picking a crowd, they're picking an identity and sticking with it, as opposed to saying, "Wait a minute, why do I hate the Cato Institute? Why do I think David Bowes sucks when he doesn't?" Uh, conversely, the Cato Institute, the 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 Coketopus, as they call it, Reason Magazine, perform a very important function. They inform us from a libertarian perspective uh, what is happening in our world today. What is the policy that is being debated in Washington, and how should libertarians think about it? Because we don't live in a vacuum. And let's all be honest, within our lifetimes, we're probably not going to have an anarcho-capitalist society. So what is the problem with understanding the, the foundation of what we believe and also engaging with the world in a meaningful way? And I find the fighting uh, to be ludicrous. And it seems like at times that the entire libertarian movement and the libertarian party in particular, which has kind of... I cook a lot. And I've been cooking Blue Apron. And I love Blue Apron. And they make a lot of pan sauces. And so if you make a pan sauce, what you do is you cook your protein like your chicken. Last night I put some some spices on some chicken and put it into the pan. And then it got all nice and brown. And I took that, that out. And then I poured some, 
you know, vinegar and water into the pan and deglazed it, and then you cook the water down, and it distills down into this very, like, tasty... Uh, all the water evaporates so it gets thicker and intensifies in flavor. Like, that's kind of what's happened with the Libertarian Party. As busy people have left the Libertarian Party, you get this, uh, this deglazed group of people who are almost at the extremes of every one of these different groups, and they're all arguing with each other. And I just find it to be exhausting, and I find it to be incredibly demotivating, and the the libertarian movement has its own version of identity politics where you have everyone arguing over personal insults instead of policy and principles and that's no way to run a political party uh, it's also incredibly afraid of anything political the Mises caucus is doing what they're supposed to do they're trying to win a, a convention election and so they are they are trying to do whatever they can possibly do to win that convention election. If you don't like it, do the same. <laughs> you know? So, but I do think that there were uh, both sides in this thing were a little unprofessional. So, all right. Well, thank you for joining us here on this episode of We Are Libertarians. Uh, the streaming just stopped. So, I'm going to, to stop too. Thank you for joining me here on this episode. I hope that you uh, found this informative. If you did, please share it with your friends and your family and other libertarians. This is probably a little more inside than normies. So share this with your libertarian friends and go, here's why we're all fighting. Let's stop. Let's start thinking rationally. So until Tuesday, we say thank you for joining us here on this episode of We Are Libertarians. We'll talk to you then. Oops, almost forgot. I promised you that I would play you the Ron Paul interview it's posted on his facebook page yesterday he is talking to uh I, I don't know what this dude's name is i think it's daniel mcadams uh yeah liberty report co-host daniel mcadams so here's the description did you hear that i was banned from speaking at the libertarian party convention this year how mean of them and i'm a lifetime member i sat down with liberty report co-host daniel mcadams to discuss the big controversy maybe we need an alternative gathering of libertarians. So what you see in that, and again, like Daniel said, Ron Paul, 82-year-old Ron Paul, is not getting on there writing that, right? <laughs> so it's a supporter. Uh, so uh, here is the interview uh, from his co-host about this whole kerfuffle. But within the Libertarian Party, there's a Mises caucus, and they, they hew closer to the Mises line uh, on, on a lot of these things. Well, they wanted to have you speak at the upcoming LP convention, the Mises Caucus. They wanted to have you uh, as a speaker. But from what I've read, someone really put the kibosh on that, and they said, no way. Actually, the Mises Caucus even raised the money, I think, to get you out there to talk. Someone said, no, they said, no way. The, the, um, the convention coordinator said, no way, no Ron Paul. Does that make you feel sad? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, um, I, I wondered about that, and I heard a little bit about it. But uh, I, I wondered, I thought, I thought the Libertarian Party would be for Mises. <laughs> I didn't know they had to have another, another caucus. But I find that really fascinating. Matter of fact, I, I did get some vibes from this. Somebody might have called a staff, not me directly. I didn't talk to anybody. And I indicated, well, look into it. Because I've spoken to the uh, 
Libertarian Party meetings before, uh, even though I've sort of skirted things Republican and Libertarian, but I'm still a member of the Libertarian. I'm a lifetime member. Lifetime member. I don't think this is an equivalent to kicking me out, is it? I mean, just they're just preventing me from speaking. So that's not that's not disbarring me from the Libertarian Party. Because besides, if they did that, I wonder I wonder if it would be okay if I could ask for my gold coin back because I paid. You know, my lifetime membership in 1987 with a gold coin. Did you? So, <laughs> to make a point, you know. So, this will be, this will be interesting. That's worth so, a little more nowadays anyway. <laughs> that's, that's right. But, no, I'm, not, I'm open to talking with them, so I don't know exactly uh, what's going on. It used to be that they, they would ask me, uh, you know, to, to come frequently, and a lot of times I couldn't do it. But uh, we'll, we'll have to see what happens, see if they really want me or not. Or <laughs> well, I think one of the things that, the, 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 you know, the, the leadership of the party, rather than rank and file, they weren't happy that you were critical of the ticket last time, that you didn't love Bill Weld. Yeah. Uh, so I think that, that might be, they said uh, he has no idea what the LP represents, is what the, what the coordinator said. So Well, you, you know, I wasn't happy with what the Republicans were doing or the Democrats. Yeah. So, uh, and um, I know something about not being allowed to speak <laughs> in the Republican Party. You know, I've That's been a true. candidate, an official candidate, qualified and all, did finally get in the debates, but there were some times when I didn't get in the debates, and sometimes what we had to do is have our own little organization in order to counteract what was going on. So this this is probably not new. It's not unique to the Libertarian Party, but there's always factions going on. And it doesn't get me too upset because I think in terms of uh, ideologies and, and philosophy, and I think in a bigger picture of the freedom philosophy, the libertarian approach should infiltrate Republicans, Democrats, and Libertarians, you know, so that we can we can have everybody. And that's what happens when an idea whose time has come, uh, it will infiltrate. Right now, uh, I think those ideas are coming together and the libertarian message should be leading the charge. But when you look at the leadership, it just seems like so often they, they melt away when you look at the Republicans and the yeah. Democrats and the Republicans, you know, say that they like libertarians and there's a few Republican libertarians in office, but uh, the leadership is so bad uh, in, in, in all the political parties. Yeah. They seem to, to go along and, and, and that, that's annoying. So this Mises caucus seems to like you. Maybe they'll have an alternative party uh, at the election, and we'll all uh, sit down and uh, talk about it. Well, that. that would be interesting. It could, could be fun. You yeah. know, uh, we, we could see that because, uh, of course, I've been promoting uh, uh, Austrian economics and Mises for a long time. He's been a big influence. And if, if anybody shouldn't, should, should be uh, praising um, a particular economist, uh, it should be the Libertarian Party because they've been more open about uh, Austrian economics, so uh, I, I think I think that would be very interesting. So uh, who who knows what will happen? <laughs> but we'll we'll see. We'll but see. May, maybe it could be fun. Yeah, we'll see. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to the We Are Libertarians Network. Get our other shows at wearelibertarians.com. 